Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Barker, pastor here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I would like to personally thank you for taking out time today to tune in to our preaching podcast. We hope that this message will be a great encouragement to your heart today. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter number four. Luke chapter number four. I've got something that's just been eating away at me for a while now, and it's not something I'm going to yell and be mad about, okay? It's just something he's been just been dealing with me about. I preached a message out of Luke chapter number five, where the Lord Jesus is telling the apostle Peter, he wasn't the apostle at the time, but he's telling Simon Peter to launch out into the deep and let down the nets. How many of you ever heard a message about that? We understand, hey, God told him to let down the nets. He only let one down and uh, about took the boat down, about took both boats down. But God taught him a great lesson. But I started studying the life of Peter. And in order to study the, the call of Peter, and, and, and I had always heard messages and even preached messages as a pastor about when the Lord Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a great storyline. It's a great opportunity for me to think about God's call on my life and how that he can take a young man like me who was graduating from high school, had no ambition to go to college, already had a business started. That was I wanted to make money. I already had everything lined out for the next 10 years, what I was going to do. But school was not a part of that. But then my dad messed up my whole plan, and he said, I want you to go to Christian college for a year. Now, you didn't tell my dad no, not if you wanted to live in that house. And uh, so I said, yes, Dad, and I went, and I said, well, I'll study business and accounting, and that'll help me in, in my business and ventures in the future. And in that time away, God got a hold of my heart. Now, I didn't get saved yet, but he began to show me that I needed to get saved. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a good church. I grew up in a good youth group. I went to the Christian school. I did right, but I found out I was doing right because I wanted to live in my house. You did wrong, you're homeless, Amen. Uh, some of y'all had a daddy like that. And uh, so when I got away from home, even though I went to a Christian college, uh, I found out real quick, there's something missing in me that some of these other young people have. And there were two young men, particularly. One was my roommate. His name was Steve Bryan. He was from Michigan. And he was one of those holier-than-thou guys that, man, I mean, he didn't even come close to the rule. I mean, if the rule was here, he stopped here. You know, and I, I didn't grow up with friends like that. If the rule was here, we stopped here. I mean, that's the way we grew up, even in church. But he stopped there, and I would watch him, and I'd be like, you know, he's just putting on a show, but he wasn't putting on a show. I met his young cousin. His name was John Thompson. John, also from Michigan. He was like one of eight kids. John, there was just something about John. He was a bubbly personality. He was a happy personality. But he loved the Lord more than anybody I'd ever met in my life. And that's coming up in a Christian home, in a, in, a, in, a, in a good church, I mean, a, just a booming church, people getting saved all the time. But there was something about John that God identified in John, and then he said, Brian, you don't have this. Well, I left that Christian school, I came home about six months, and I was absolutely miserable. And I said, well, maybe God's calling me to preach at a church camp at a bonfire. I said, I, I'm just going to surrender to preach, this has got to be what God's doing. And so then I was like, well, I've got to go to Bible college. And so I went to a Bible college. And the second week I was in that Bible college, they had opening revival. And on the first night of the revival, I found out right then what was wrong. I needed to get saved. 
You can't make your life right if you're not saved. You just can't do it. I mean, you can fool everybody else, but when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you're staring at that ceiling, you know something's still wrong. And I've been living that life for 19 years. And man, let me tell you, when I got to the altar that night, that Sunday night, I was dressed in a tie. I was sitting on the front row. I was saying amen to the preacher the entire hour and a half message. I was amen in the message. When the time came for the invitation, I went right to the altar, and I said to the man that met me there, he said, Brian, what's wrong? I said, I don't know, but something's wrong. And we walked out in the parking lot, and he said, you need to get saved, don't you? And I said, how could that be? And I went through my life, and he said, and yet here we are. He said, what's keeping you from getting saved? I said, what's my dad going to think if I call him and say, Dad, I got saved? He said, I think your dad would be pretty happy about it if he loves the Lord. And I went, well, okay, that one didn't work. I said, what's my mama going to think? He said, I never met a mama that loved the Lord, didn't like it when her boy got saved. I said, what are my friends going to think? He said, you really care what your friends think when you stand before God? I said, no, you're right. And I bowed my head and I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior at 19 years of age. And let me tell you, all that was wrong in my life at that moment of time was made right. Now, I'm not going to say I, everything in my life changed. I was a pretty good guy on the outside. I didn't have to give up a whole lot of stuff. But let me tell you, my reason for doing right, it changed. My heart changed. When I started looking at the, at the life of Peter, I began to see a thought develop. And that's, I don't have any notes up here. That should scare you to death. A preacher without notes goes all night long. But I've got, some, I've got a lot of things jotted down and a lot of things in my heart. My heart's full. And I want to preach to you tonight about the pursuit of God on a person's life. The pursuit of God on a person's life. I always picked up the story in Peter's life when God said, or Jesus said to him, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. But I want you to see tonight what God's shown me over these last couple of weeks as I've been studying this out in the Gospels, that God was pursuing Peter long before Jesus stepped onto his boat and said, launch out into the deep. He wasn't an apostle yet. He wasn't a disciple yet. He had heard about Christ, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But he really had not acknowledged who Jesus was until the scripture that we're looking at here in Luke chapter number 5. We're going to look at this. Let's read it in chapter number 5, verse number 1. Put my glasses on so you know I've got the right Bible. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when he had uh, this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that it, they began to sink. When P Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he was astonished in all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and they follow, and followed him. You know, when I was doing some studying on this and looking at really how the Lord's ministry began here on the earth, and it really came from a message I was preaching out of Mark chapter number 2 where um, the, uh, the Lord Jesus was doing some amazing things in Mark chapter number 1. He healed the leper by reaching out and touching him, and he had just been doing all of these works in Capernaum. And I started noticing a pattern in uh, Luke chapter number 4, in Mark chapter number 1, in John chapter number, I believe it's 1 and 2, we'll look at it here in just a few moments, I began to realize that Jesus began some earthly ministry in that northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Gennesaret. He had focused his attention in the cities of Capernaum and Bethsaida. Bethsaida was the home of Andrew and Simon Peter, and Capernaum was three miles away, and they were both on that northern shore of Galilee, and they were beginning to hear some things like, in, in, well, when John uh, the Baptist baptized the Lord Jesus, he identified him as the Son of God. Now, now think about this just for a moment. We're talking about the nation of Israel. We're talking about the Israeli people. We're talking about God's chosen people who God had not spoken to for over 400 years. John the Baptist comes on the, on the scene, says, repent and be baptized for the kingdom is at hand. He's telling them about the promised Messiah that's coming, and they've been hearing this. They've known about it. They've grown up with the tradition. They've grown up with the teaching. They, they're looking for this man. He's going to fulfill the prophecies uh, that we read about in the Old Testament that we've been taught from a child. Now, John the Baptist says, this is the Son of God in Mark chapter number 1, if you want to read about it. Well, one of John the Baptist's disciples was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. The day that Christ got baptized, you can rest assured that Andrew, the son of Simon, or the, the brother of Simon Peter, came home and said, Hey, the one that we've been hearing about coming, this Messiah, today I met him. He's been identified by the prophet John the Baptist. He's been identified as the Son of God. You need to meet him. Now, you gotta, you got to use your mind when you're thinking about this because you think about this. You've been, you've been hearing all of your life, your parents, your grandparents, everybody's been telling you about this guy. Now, John's a peculiar character, but everybody knew the power of God rested upon him. So when he identifies this new character on the scene as the Son of God, now their ears are perking. But see, Peter, when he hears about it, he's only heard about someone else's opinion about Jesus. But he's in that region where Christ is working. And he begins to hear about people that he's known his whole life from his community, from his village, that Christ has touched them, he's healed them. He hears about the leper that I guarantee you he's known for most of his life. And uh, the leper, what did they have to do in the Old Testament times? When they went through the city, they had to yell out something. What was it? Unclean, unclean. They were quarantined for life from society. And if anybody should understand that, Post-COVID, we need to understand quarantine. But here they are. He's hearing about it. He's hearing about it. Luke chapter number 4, Christ is he's been out in the desert. He's been uh, 
He's been tempted by the devil. He comes back into Capernaum in verse number 31. He goes back in the synagogue in verse number 33. He, uh, he cleanses the young person of this unclean spirit. Let me tell you, that's going to make it around the neighborhood. There's nobody out there taking or telling unclean spirits to come out of this individual and the unclean spirits are listening. But Christ did. He has power over that. And those demons came out of that young person. And let me tell you, this is before social media, before anybody can put it on Twitter. I mean, it made it out through that area of Capernaum and Bethsaida. Something's different about this prophet. He's doing things that we've heard about, but we've never seen. But listen, right after that, when he left the synagogue, verse number 38, he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Again, we're talking about the pursuit of God. I want you to see that God had a plan here long before even we've noticed it. He didn't just show up and say, Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I want you to understand God has been orchestrating a series of events to draw Peter's attention from one of, I've heard about this man, or I've heard he's done some good things, but now you're going to see in verse number 38, he says he, uh, Simon's mother um, entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her, and he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. So here's Simon Peter. Now Andrew's told him about him. He knows some people that have been healed, but maybe he hasn't seen them. He's just heard about it. But now Christ enters into his house, and his mother-in-law, even if he didn't like his mother-in-law, he recognized the fact that he healed her. Amen. I mean, he walked in, the fever was there, he rebuked the fever. I mean, that's just crazy to think about. He rebukes the fever and she gets up. I had COVID back in June. I had the fever so bad, 16 days with 103. I mean, somebody came in and rebuked my fever, I would have jumped up and served them gladly, amen? But I didn't have the strength to do it, but he didn't only rebuke the fever, he renewed her strength. She got up and began to serve them. Peter was there and he saw it. Now he's not hearing, you know, Jim Bob talking about it. Now he's not hearing about Andrew doing it. He's seeing that God is in the midst and he's trying to do something and he's, he's beginning to figure it out. I mean, he's just a, he's a blue-collar guy. He's not some college graduate. He's not like the Apostle Paul and his pedigree and all the things. Peter's just a fisherman taking care of his family. He's working all night, washing his nets. He's doing it over and over and over again, taking care of his family, taking care of his customers, doing the best that he can, just being a good man. And Jesus shows up, and he didn't say it out loud, but in the heart of God, he was saying, I'm after you. Man. When you start looking at how Christ works and how God works in a person's life, just like he did mine, he's after me, and he's showing me some needs. He's showing me my shortfalls. He's showing me that I'm not all that I think I am, and I'm not all that other people think I am. But there's something missing on the inside, and he keeps directing your steps and directing your path, and one day it's finally going to come to light, and that's what happens with the apostle Peter. His mother-in-law is healed, but what happened after that? Peter went fishing. I wasn't fishing like Brother John, just going out and, you know, just killing some time, amen. If I'm going fishing, it's at uh, one of these wonderful seafood restaurants in North Carolina. My wife and I went to the Mayflower in Madison, North Carolina this evening. Man, I mean, that's all you can eat, popcorn, shrimp. I left 100 of them still on the plate. 
I've never seen so many shrimp. But Peter, after all this ministry, now I'll tell you something about fishing. Fishing gives you some time to think. Peter goes fishing all night, but it is a terrible night fishing. How many of you ever been fishing all night and come home with nothing? You don't even want to tell your wife, do you? You mean you stayed up all night and you got home with nothing? No, no, I'm going to stop at Captain D's on my way home, amen. I mean, he's all night long. Now he's getting the nets ready. He's a good man. He's a hard-working man. Why is he cleaning his nets? Because he's got to do it again tonight. He's listening to Jesus. You go back there in chapter number four. He's listening to Jesus teach the multitudes right there on the seashore. He's listening the day before he was in his house, ministering to his mother-in-law. He's been out there thinking about it all night. Then chapter number five, Jesus walks up to him and said, hey, I need to get away just a little bit from the crowd. They're pressing up against me. I need to be able to project my voice over the multitude so they can hear me. Let me go in your boat and let's cast out a little bit from the shore. And now Peter, he's a captive audience. He can't get away. He can't go work church security. He can't go down to Dairy Queen. No, he's stuck in the boat and Jesus is teaching and he's sitting there and he's listening to him. And now Jesus turns his full attention from the multitude and he looks right at Simon and he says, launch out. Man, my friends, this is what's been eating on me for a couple of weeks. I was thinking about it today coming over here. That relentless pursuit of my Savior when he had me in his sights. Oh, I'm so glad that he did. You know why? Because one day it dawned on me the Holy Spirit finally penetrated my heart and said, Brian, I, I'll never forget I was working with bus kids that same day that I went forward. And I remember I was leading those bus kids to the Lord. You see, you can do that as a lost man. I know the verses. I've done it before. I'd been to the church camp. I'd sing the Bible songs. I'd sing in the choir since I was 12. I knew all the right things, but that day when I was saying to that young bus kid, you need to get saved, the Spirit of God said, and that's what you need. So that night after church, man, I was tore up. I think y'all understand. If I said that up north, they wouldn't know what I meant by that. But I was tore up. And when I, and I'll never forget when that man out in the parking lot of the church said, then why don't you just get saved? Man, it was just like this fresh breeze of air, this spring breeze, that cool breeze that hit me in the face. And it was just like, that's what you need, son. Now do it. And I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I've never looked back and regretted it. I never looked back at all the times that, that God was working in my heart, and I said, no, or and I must, my wires must be crossed, my heart must not be right. I never looked back on all that, but now I look back on it, and I said, God was pursuing me. He was identifying a need in me, and now I can just simply say, thank you, God, for not giving up on me. But let me tell you, the day of salvation is just the beginning. You know, if God wanted you saved and that's it, he'd take you out of here the day you got saved. September the 11th, 1988 would have been the day of my new birth and the day of my death because I would have been ushered into glory that day if that's all God wanted for me. But there's another side to that. He continues his pursuit to lead you in service. You know, when I think about it, I go back. My wife and I have been married going on 29 years. 
And uh, you're not married 29 years without going through some difficulties. I'm not talking about marriage problems. I'm talking about life. My 52-year-old body doesn't feel like my 21-year-old body felt. Some Brother Jonathan was so kind, he told me I didn't look a day over 70 earlier tonight. That's such an uplifting thing. I feel pretty good for 70, brother. <laughs> you know, I, I, he brings you through these seasons of life. You know, I do premarital counseling. These young couples, and they come in. I know Brother Jonathan's seen this too. They come in and you say, well, this is what we need to do and what we need to pray about. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We know. Yes, sir. I know that. Yes, sir. I know that. And you're like, why are we even in here? You already know everything. And then they've been married about a week. And your phone rings. Preacher, what do I do about this? Well, we talked about that the second time we got together. I know, I know, I know, but now you're listening, amen. I'd meet with them after they'd been married for a month, and I'd say, hey, what's, what's some issues that have come up already? Most of the time it's in-laws. I'm an in-law now. I think I'm an outlaw, but anyway, I am one of them. You know, in-law problems. Things, unreached expectations or unmet expectations. Then I meet with them again a year later. Now we really got some things to talk about. You know, when you're serving the Lord, when you're following the Lord, life's going to come at you. Your young one's going to get rushed to the hospital. I was with my dad three years ago when my mom died of cancer. Watched him walk through that. They didn't see that coming. You know what my dad said to me? He said, for 52 years of marriage, I prepared to be the first one to go. And yet here I am, and she's gone. What do I do now? You know what? The same God that saves you continues to pursue you. He continues to work in your life. He continues to give you direction. He doesn't give up on you. Why doesn't he give up on you? Because he left you here on purpose. He left you here to be like those four guys in Mark chapter number 2 that brought their their friend on the stretcher to see Jesus. They're in Mark chapter number two. They couldn't get him in the house because the house was full. They tore off the ceiling to let him down. He left you here to be one of those that will carry the stretcher. He left you to be here to be one of those that you realize God has me here. He has me in this church. He has me in the neighborhood that I live in. He has me in the house that I'm in. He has me in the family I am, I'm in. He, ha he knows every single detail of my life, and I'm right there because that's where he wants to use me. And that allows you to get up every morning with a sense of expectation that the God of heaven that pursued you and saved your soul has an idea for you for today. He's got an opportunity for you today. It's going to be a person walking down the road. It's going to be an attendant at a gas station. It's going to be the checkout lady at Walmart. It's going to be the woman waiting on you in Waffle House if you go to Waffle House. I'm telling you, he knows where you are. He knows where he wants you to go. And he's got something prepared for you because he's still pursuing you. My maintenance man in our church for many, many years got out of the army or got out of the Navy, went into the army. His wife was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So he got out of the military and he went to work for the church full time. It was a part time salary, but he did it full time. 29 years. Every morning, because his wife had to have this set schedule and she had to sleep into a certain time, he would just get up and he'd scoot out of the house and he'd go to Waffle House every morning. He'd been there every single day, seven days a week for over 20 years. 
there was a special on the wall that said Richard's Special. And it was the sandwich he ate every morning. Now, it only cost him 40 cents. It cost me $4. But they liked Richard. Why? Because he came in and he saw it as a ministry. One day when I was pastoring there, a young single mom walked in. Her name was Jessie. She had a little boy. I think Jasper was four at the time. She'd never been married. Just barely getting by it. She'd been working at Waffle House. Just probably had another job on top of that. But Jessie came in the church. She had this vibrant personality, just a smile, just the sweetest person you'd ever meet. But Jessie walked down the aisle after Richard invited her to church. She knelt down at the altar and she trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior. You know why she did that? Because Jesus pursued her through Richard. A few weeks later, Jasper, a little four-year-old boy, comes up to me and says, Preacher, I want to get saved. I want to know Jesus. I baptized mama and son together. Wasn't too long before Jesse's other single mother sister came in with her child. Jackie got saved. Wasn't long before mom, a single mom, Deborah, my age, came into the church. Been a nurse for years and years in the military and after she got out of the VA clinic, Deborah walked down the aisle and got saved. Wasn't long after that and Michael, who Jesse had known in school but hadn't seen him in 20-something years, came into the church with her one day. Their friendship had been re renewed, and he walked into the church with his little girl, Amaya, and, and, and he got saved, and Amaya got saved. I'd baptized all of them. It wasn't long before Michael and Jesse got, uh, got married, and, uh, and Jesse went through college, became an RN. Now they've had another little girl, and I look back, and I think about Richard. It's just a breakfast sandwich. He sits there on the stools in the same place every day. Most of those waitresses there, their lives are just hanging by a thread. They're doing the best that they can. But he saw through all of that, and he decided to be a light where he could be a light. And he knew what it felt like to be pursued by God, and he allowed God to pursue them through him. A few weeks ago, I was preaching in my home church, and Richard was working security. I knew he wasn't in the building, but I was most of the church there because it's military. It's a whole new group of people. I was telling that story fresh and new, just reminding them how important it is to be watching and listening and available to be used by God every single day so you don't miss opportunities. And I told him the story of Jesse. Sitting out here about halfway back on this side, there was a young lady and her husband, I assumed he was her husband, sitting there and a couple of small kids. I gave the invitation and boom, right to the front they came. And I was trying to leave to get to the funeral home after I got done preaching. I had a funeral the next day and the viewing was after church. And But I didn't get off the platform because they grabbed me as soon as I came off the platform and introduced me and, and, or, and themselves to me. And they said, you don't know this. But she said, I was a waitress at Waffle House, and Richard invited me. It happened after I left the church. Gone away preaching all over the world, and here, Richard's still at it. She said, I got saved right here, and this lady right over here led me to Christ. It was my sister. Man, there is no greater joy than to know that God is in pursuit of you. 
and to know that God can pursue other people through you and you get to sit back and watch it all happen and you marvel because you know, I'm not worthy of this. I battle the flesh every day. I battle my thoughts. I battle my spirit. I battle my actions and my reactions. But I want to keep them in check and I want to be led by the Spirit of God because if He's after somebody and I'm near them, I want to be involved in it. Oh, my friend, this has been, I'm, I'm telling you, it's been eating at me because I think there's a lot more to this. Peter was just a man that God used to do some amazing things in his life, but it all started the same way it started with you. When God made himself known for the first time through somebody else, and you heard a little bit more, and then one day he zeroed in on you, turned his full attention to you, and you've never been the same. My friend, God is not finished with us. He's not finished with this church. We need to follow him. You know what this community right here, I don't even know what this community is. What is it, brother? Where are we? I still don't know where I am. Nowhere. You know what nowhere North Carolina needs? It needs a whole bunch of people that have been pursued by God to be used by God. Because your county is full of people that God's after. Let's go get them. Let's grab the stretcher. You might have to go in teams. It takes four people to hold the corners of a stretcher. You go on a team and you get them on the stretcher and you get them to Jesus. Because you can rest assured when you bring them to him, he's going to turn his full attention toward them. And he and he alone is going to change their life. Let's pray. Our Father, I come to you tonight, and Lord, I am so thankful. Lord, when I was 17 years old, you know my heart wasn't toward you. My heart was toward myself. Lord, I had plans. I wanted to make money. I wanted to make a name for myself, but Lord, you, you didn't give up on me. Lord, you'd pull the chair out from under me here. You'd turn my steps there. But Lord, that one day you turned your attention full on to me. And Lord, there was no denying you were after me. And Lord, I, I knew I needed you. But on that day, I wanted you more than I wanted anything. And Lord, you changed me forever. Lord, I'm so glad that you don't only do that with me, but Lord, you do it with others. I think of this preacher here, Lord. I knew him as a teenager. Lord, when you turned your attention on him, you got a hold of his heart. Lord, you changed him forever. I think of others we met in our life, Lord, that they've had such an impact because when you pursued them and put your full attention on them, they turned to you. And Lord, you were able to use them in a great and mighty way. Lord, I can't help but believe there's, there's a Brian Baggett here that's been in church a long time. Lord, his name's not Brian, but Lord, in his heart, everybody thinks he's saved. They think he's a good boy. They think he's a good young lady, but on the inside... 
There's fear. There's uncertainty. Lord, they know something's wrong, and yet they're here, and Lord, they're going to hold on to the pew in just a moment and try to get through another invitation where you're turning your attention on them. Lord, I pray tonight that that young person will turn loose of that pew and make their way to the front. Lord, they'll fall on their knees before you and they will cry out and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I'm trusting in you and you alone as my Lord and Savior. Lord, that their journey, that new journey, that new life in Christ will begin tonight for them. Lord, it may not be a young person. There may be an older person. There may be a husband, a father, a grandfather, a great-grandfather, a great-grandma that's here that everybody thinks they've got it all together, but on the inside, they're in turmoil. On the inside, they lay in the bed at night and they wonder whether or not they'll go to heaven. They hope so. They're 90% sure, and yet that 10% is driving them crazy. But they don't want anybody to know Lord, would you show them tonight that you're still pursuing them? That you're still after them, that you haven't given up on them and you want them to be sure, you want them to know. God, may tonight be the night they call upon you. May their lives be changed. Lord, I want you to work in hearts tonight like you've worked in mine. Lord, would you have your will? Lord, I pray our hearts are open and in tune with your spirit tonight that we might follow you. Lord, that you might change us. In Jesus' name I do pray.